25, verses 39 to 43. Leviticus 25. A number of uh, passages in the Old Testament and uh, the New as well on the subject of uh, slavery and how slaves were to be treated. Leviticus 25 is one of those passages, but we will read just the verses 39 to 43. And if a countryman of yours becomes so poor with regard to you that he sells himself to you, you shall not subject him to a slave's service. He shall be with you as a hired man, as if he were a sojourner with you until the year of Jubilee. He shall then go out from you, he and his sons with him, and shall go back to his family, that he may return to the property of his forefathers. For they are my servants whom I brought out from the land of Egypt. They are not to be sold in a slave's sale. You shall not rule over him with severity, but are to revere your God. Then would you please turn to Ephesians chapter 6. We're back to our series on the book of Ephesians after a rather long break over summer. I'll read the first nine verses, but the text will be verses 5 through to 9. Children... Obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. Honour your father and mother, which is the first commandment, with a promise, that it may be well with you, and that you may live long on the earth. And fathers, do not provoke your children to anger, but bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. And then our text Slaves, be obedient to those who are your masters according to the flesh, with fear and trembling, in sincerity of your heart as to Christ, not by way of eye service as men pleases, but as slaves of Christ doing the will of God from the heart. With good will, render service as to the Lord and not to men, knowing that whatever good thing each one does, this he will receive back from the Lord, whether slave or free. And masters, do the same things to them, and give up threatening, knowing that both their master and yours is in heaven, and there is no partiality with him. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, would you grant that we, as we... Uh, sit under the ministry of your word, would not simply agree with what it says in some outward way, but that we would do so from the heart and in such a way that we would strive to keep your word with your help. We pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. Covenant people of God, one might be inclined to think that the Bible's instructions in this passage, instructions to slaves and masters, 
is at the least redundant, if not offensive, in today's enlightened society. After all, we don't have slaves and masters in that way, uh, not in this country at any rate. Maybe some parts of the world where it still is practiced, but not here. And it's certainly a subject where uh, today there's a very heightened awareness of these issues and uh, people are very, very strongly against the whole idea of slavery. And even in the workplace today, which we usually regard as the closest equivalent to what is being described here, even there we have a situation where there are many rules, uh, government rules and laws requiring just wages and fair treatment and no easy dismissal and no abusive behaviour or bullying and where people can complain to certain agencies if they have a problem or they can get help with arbitration and they can get benefits if they lose their job. And in some places, in some countries where there are unions who will go to bat and they'll fight for the rights of workers. And if all of that is not enough, well, in our society, if there's something you still don't like in your job after all that, well, you can just quit and hopefully get another job or even get retrained, go back to university. Many opportunities in our society along these lines. None of that, however, necessarily looks at the workplace, either modern or ancient, in a spiritual manner. And that is what the Apostle was certainly doing, looking at that subject of uh, work that is owed to a master, in this case, uh, looking at that work in a spiritual manner. And that's also what we wish to do as God's people. And we attempt to do that under three headings this morning. Uh, firstly, obedience to authority. Secondly, service to authority. And thirdly, exercising authority. Obedience to authority, service to authority, and exercising authority. In the first place, the, the Apostle commands Christian slaves in that situation uh, to be obedient to their masters. And that the word that's used for obeying here in this case is a word that's combined of two words. One means under and the other means hear. So underhearing. Uh, and it's, it's the, the understanding of that is that it means obey because it's saying you're to place yourself under what you hear from those who are over you, uh, from your master in this case. In other words, to obey them. And this is not only something that, uh, in this case, slaves were to do with their masters, but this is something that God's people are commanded to do in other authority situations when dealing with all lawful authorities. And that's why we found the same word was used for children as they obey or underhear their parents. Ephesians 6 verse 1. And the same word or word group is used with Sarah and Abraham in 1 Peter 3 verse 6 where Sarah is put forward as a model for Christian wives as she underheard her husband Abraham. And of course then today, by way of application, the same is true with Christian workers who are under the authority of a boss in our time. That's the uh, closest equivalent we have 
to the slave-master situation. And it's an equivalent by way of an argument from lesser to greater. An argument that goes like this, if the Bible can command even Christian slaves to obey their masters in the context of a dehumanising system of slavery, then how much more ought workers, Christian workers, to do that today in the workplace with their bosses? Okay, but what makes this a spiritual obedience when Christians seek to act that way in the workplace? What makes it spiritual is what follows in the rest of this text. And this is a a really important point, I believe, because this is what is going to make your work a spiritual thing. Whatever work it is, whether it is work you do as a mechanic or a builder or a housewife or an accountant or a teacher or a scientist or whatever else it may be, what makes it spiritual is most fundamentally your relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ and what follows from that, the work of the Holy Spirit, hence spiritual, that whom he sends to you. So your relationship with the Lord Jesus and how you then relate your work to him, that's what makes it spiritual. And I want to draw to your attention how much that comes out in this text. This passage is about a Christ-centred work ethic. And it comes out in verse 5, verse 6, verse 7 and verse 8 with respect to the, uh, to the worker. It also comes out in verse 9 with respect to the master, but at the moment we're looking at the worker. So verses 5, 6, 7 and 8, which have these phrases, as to Christ, as slaves of Christ, as to the Lord, from the Lord. Four Christ-centered phrases in each of those four verses, a repeated Christ-centered refrain to drive this point home to us that your work has to be in relation to Jesus Christ. So let's run through those references to the Lord Jesus in a little more detail and look at some of the implications of them with respect to workers. First, as mentioned, you are to be obedient to your human employer, or in the situation here, human master, as to Christ with fear and trembling. Not fear and trembling of the master or the boss, that's not what it means, but it means in the fear of the Lord. In other words, it is to be done in reverence to the Lord Jesus Christ as you carry out your secular work, your secular vocation as it's sometimes called. And the parallel in Colossians 3 verse 22 shows that using a similar expression but making it very clear that that's not talking about fear and trembling in front of a harsh boss, it's talking about reverence, fear and trembling before the Lord. So respect and obedience towards human authorities, including the boss at work, is to be driven by reverence and obedience towards God, toward the Master, the Lord Jesus Christ. Of course, obeying as to Christ also means what we've seen before in uh, looking at some of these authority structures in this part of Ephesians, 
It also means that we recognise that all authority is appointed by God's authority. So that if we reject lawful authority, we are actually rejecting God's appointee. And if you reject God's appointee, then you run the risk of rejecting God's authority. And we considered that also when we dealt with the submission of children to parents and of wives to husbands. Um, As to the Lord Jesus Christ also means that the obedience is not to be given grudgingly. Reverence for God, reverence for the Lord Jesus uh, ought to mean that we don't offer grudging obedience to him. As to Christ means a positive desire to obey the Lord Jesus Christ as faithfully as we can with his help out of love and gratitude towards him which should lead us to a sincere and wholehearted obedience also before those authorities whom he has appointed, for example, the boss at work, rather than that we should uh, deal with those whom God has set over us and obey them only with resentment and only out of bad motives and so forth, out of ill will. For the same reason the Apostle warns against obeying by way of eye service as men pleasers. That's uh, their possible bad motives. The kind of situation where obedience is only given when the boss is looking. Or perhaps at times, again, only when he's looking, not not just to avoid trouble, but it could also be because you want to curry favour with the boss You want to get some personal advantage out of it so you make sure you look like you're working hard when he's looking. Those are bad motives and a bad way of dealing with things. Uh, Because we recognise that the master behind the master sees all that we do and all that we don't do. Moreover, we want to please him for good reasons because he is the Lord and because we're grateful for all he has done for us. And therefore, towards him, we want to have a round-the-clock attitude and uh, not driven by whether people around us are looking or not, but by our constant relationship with him and the knowledge that he sees all. And in that sense, what others see us do in the workplace isn't terribly relevant what God sees, which is all everything, is relevant in our relationship with him. Because we are doing the will of God from the heart as Christ's slaves, as Christ's servants, that is what uh, makes the difference in this regard to the way that we obey those over us. Well, this points in the direction of a, a more positive view of work. And that positive view of work is seen in the second place that it is not just a matter of bare obedience. Those under authority are also called to serve, verses 7 and 8. In fact, all Christians are called to serve other people as part of our service to God. But here we deal with a particular area of that service to others as service to God and that's the service to a master or to a boss. And service to God 
is more than just a matter of submitting to what he commands. It's more than just a matter of following the rules. It is a willing self-offering. It is a willing presenting of oneself out of love and gratitude and for his glory. In fact, in the Greek language, there are a couple of main words that describe our service to God, and one of them is the word that means a slave or a servant in the sense we're talking about here, and it's the same word that's used here for, for the slaves, the servants. But the other one, uh, it's not used in this passage, but it nevertheless underlies all service to God. The other one is more like the service of a priest in the temple where one is making offerings towards God. And that underlies everything that is being said here as well. Uh, service to God then governs our service to men as something that is more than just a matter of obedience, but it's a self-offering for the welfare or, for the in the case of God, for the glory of God. So our service to God then changes the character of our service to men. And that's why we find a command to render service with goodwill in verse 7. In verses 5 to 7, uh, obedience was to be given as to Christ with sincerity from the heart. But 5 to 6, um, obedience given to Christ with sincerity of heart, doing the will of God from the heart. But now we're told that service is also to be rendered as to the Lord Jesus with goodwill. Similar idea. And this too can be a very, very hard thing. It's hard for a slave not simply to follow orders and to obey, but to serve for the master's welfare, for his good. And not just to serve for his welfare, but also to do so with a good will. Uh, that means so uh, cheerfully and wholeheartedly. And it's very hard at times to do that, particularly if you find that your master is not kind, but cruel and harsh. So uh, think of your boss at work, or uh, bosses perhaps for whom you have worked in the past. And uh, as you think about how you went in that situation, perhaps you found that you could force yourself to uh, to do the job that you were called to, even if you really believed that your boss was a nasty piece of work. But you found it hard at times, and as you took part in the workplace gossip, which was negative against the boss because the boss wasn't that nice a person, you, you hear all that workplace gossip, maybe you could contribute to that workplace gossip about the boss, and things then only become more difficult. It increases the ill will. And the only thing then that can make a radical difference to that kind of situation and that can turn that kind of situation into a self-offering from goodwill is the realisation that it's not just about the boss, about the human boss. It is service to the Lord Jesus. In other words, it is for his glory arising out of gratitude to him and done as a witness to him as well, and in willing obedience to him. Uh, note that in verse 7, there's quite a parallel here. What is said about 
offering this kind of service is more or less parallel to what is said about obeying those over us. And so here with this too in verse 7, that you have this contrast between rendering service as to the Lord as opposed to rendering it as to men, with that little phrase, not to men. And that phrase, not to men, is parallel to what we saw in verse 6, which was against obeying as men pleases and by way of eye service to men. So the point is being repeated here regarding service for the welfare of the master. In other words, if you are inclined to be lazy in respect to your work, or if you are reluctant to work because you feel that the boss is not a nice person, and then you find that you don't, you don't feel like going the extra mile in what you're doing for either of those reasons, unless it's to your advantage when the boss is watching, but when you have this positive ser- idea of service as well as obedience, uh, then knowing the Lord Jesus makes all the difference to how you respond and how you serve. Because you know, once again, that he sees everything you do. And uh, even though you want to please him at all times, you also know that, uh, as Christians we know this, as Reformed people especially we know this, that you cannot uh, do even your duty, even your basic duty towards the Lord Jesus. You can't even do that properly as a sinner. And you know, we know as Reformed people, that the Lord Jesus deserves far, far more than we can ever offer him, even at our best, by way of our self-offering. But nevertheless, out of love and gratitude, we want to serve him as much as we possibly can, rather than as little as we possibly can. And please note that this also applies to students. And I say this because... Uh, most of the young people here, if not uh, well, all of the ones uh, of a certain age, are uh, uh, about to uh, uh, resume their schooling, if they haven't already. They're about to resume that schooling in this week. And I want to note that the same principle applies to the young people here too. I know, I know it from my own experience that very often as uh, students, you want to do the minimum when it comes to study When it comes to homework, you want to do the minimum that you can get away with. Or sometimes you might want to do something extra in order to butter up the teacher. But the mature student, the mature Christian student, works hard even if the parent or teacher is not watching and is not going to know because you understand that ultimately you are serving God as you do this. There is another way in which service here is shown to be Christ-centred in verse 8. His saving work, the saving work of the Lord Jesus Christ, brings about a gracious reward for the good that we do at work or the good that the young people do in their study when they do it as to him or his glory. And the Apostle writes, this is true actually whether you're slave or free, whether you're a boss or a worker. 
And it's not that we're trying to earn that reward by our diligence at work or by our obedience or by going the extra mile. But nevertheless, it is an encouragement to us. It is an encouragement to know that uh, even if parents or teachers or uh, bosses at work don't notice and don't reward the good work ethic that you have, nevertheless, the Lord is pleased for Christ's sake. And that's an encouragement to us, though it's not meant to cause us to have a, a concept of earning favour from God. Now, as we've seen with the marriage relationship and also with the parent-child relationship, the Lord's commands are not one-sided. They're not stacked against those who are in the weaker position. God's word, therefore, addresses husbands as well as wives. It addresses parents as well as children and masters or bosses as well as those who are under them in order to create a safe environment in which wives and children and slaves or employees can obey God and submit without fear. Our third and final point, exercising authority. Now, we shouldn't assume from this that the Lord approves of all types of slavery. There can, in fact, be a good form of servitude, as in the Old Testament, as a way of paying off a debt without having to go to jail and yet at the same time ensuring that those who are owed something actually do get their, what they're owed. Uh, that was a, a good system. But abducting people, kidnapping them to force them into slavery was absolutely forbidden in the Old Testament and in fact it was punishable by death. Exodus 21 verse 16, Deuteronomy 24 verse 7. And not only in the, New, in the Old Testament, by implication it is forbidden also in the New Testament. Uh, 1 Timothy 1 verse 10. But in addition to that, the Bible also regulated the existing evil practice at that time. And it did so especially in a way that enabled both slave and free to be one in the Lord Jesus Christ in the life of his church. Note, therefore, that in verses 9 and 10, the apostle emphasizes that ultimately, slave and free are in the same boat so far as the Lord is concerned. Hence, the Christian master is commanded to do the same things as the slave, in essence. You see, there's an equality there in the way the commandment comes to both of them in verse 9. Do the same things. In other words, masters, you've got to do just like what the slaves did. You've got to do what you do as to Christ, as to the Lord. You've got to do so sincerely and you've got to do it willingly and you've got to do it cheerfully, recognising that you are in fact a slave of Christ just as your slave was a slave of Christ. Rendering service to him at all times, not just when you're seen in public. In fact, in uh, the ancient Roman society, uh, often masters uh, declined to execute their slaves publicly because they're afraid of public opinion. But it's not just about public opinion. 
It's about pleasing God and acting according to his will, rendering service to him, whether you're seen by men or not, and uh, knowing also that God will graciously reward those who serve him faithfully, whether they are slave or free. There's that equality again before God. Because the Lord Jesus Christ, God, is the master of both slave and free, or, or slave and master, human master. There's that equality again. And he does not show partiality or favoritism to either. There's that equality again. And you see, it's hard for us to appreciate in the society in which we live, which has been influenced by the gospel, it's hard for us to appreciate just how radical this was, these kind of instructions, how radical this was in the ancient world. And perhaps in our situation today, because our society is more influenced by the gospel, uh, we find it harder to appreciate how radical it is, but it actually still is radical. You imagine a workplace today where Christian masters, Christian bosses I should say, are doing what this says and their workers are doing what that says. Imagine that kind of workplace and compare it with what you see around us today. That is still a radical difference. On the positive side, these instructions argue for a Christian master or boss to act with kindness, charity, patience and justice toward those who are under him. Treating his Christian workers as equal in God, equal in Christ. And it could be, it would, it could be and would be and sometimes in a Christian owned business you get a foretaste of this. But uh, what a wonderful experience it is to have a Christian boss like that today. On the negative side, the, the same truth gives reason for masters in biblical times, and today too for that matter, to give up threatening using fear of harsh punishment as a way of getting more work out of people, out of their slaves. That doesn't mean there's no place for consequences to a wicked slave. The Bible deals with that as well. It doesn't mean that there's no consequences to a lazy, disobedient employee today. But it is said due to the fact that the Lord desires our right action first and foremost from the motive of love and gratitude to him and from the recognition that he is the Lord and has the right to tell us all how to live rather than being driven primarily by terror of punishment. Moreover, those with authority are not to treat others as if they can do what they like with their property because all people belong to God and that's doubly so in the church because we are those who not only belong to our creator and ruler, but we're also those who are redeemed by the Lord Jesus Christ. Well, just as the gospel transforms the individual's life, and once that has happened, once the sinner's relationship with the Lord is transformed, then other relationships begin to be transformed as well. In home, and school, and in workplace. And what a, an extraordinary situation it is today when a Christian boss models his business according to these principles and where Christian employees model their work according to these principles. 
with the Lord Jesus Christ at the center. That is an extraordinary witness that brings glory to God. Amen. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, whether we work as employer or employee in authority or under it, will you help us to do so as to Christ, to do so with gratitude, with the desire to please you in the merits of the Lord Jesus, to obey and serve you above all, but also to give a good witness to you. And so to work diligently and righteously and justly and patiently and cheerfully. And we pray, Father, for any who may be in an unhappy situation in their work, and we pray that you would grant them an extra measure of grace uh, to give this witness in a difficult and trying situation. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. All of life is to be consecrated to the Lord. Home, school, church, work, recreation, every area of life. Hymn 462, we'll stand to sing. And would you please remain standing for the blessing and doxology. 462.
After the blessing is our doxology, we sing from the Psalter Hymnal 299, stanzas 1 and 8. The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face shine on you and be gracious to you. The Lord lift up his countenance on you and give you peace. Amen. <laughs>